So tonight we were talking about the mission for Renewal Church. Last week we talked about the overall vision, and tonight we're talking about the mission. See, every church has an identity. If you randomly ask church members from different churches, and even if we kept it right here in Bell County, and we ask people, so what is your church's identity? If we ask, what is your church all about? I mean, what kind of answers do you think you would get from the average person? Um, we're going to actually think through this in our home groups this week. Um, as last week you saw, we launched home groups, and this week we continue them. And we're going to have a sermon base, or in this case, a launch team training based home group inducted Bible study on this same text. But go deeper, study it together, apply it, and live in community and be on mission for Jesus. And we're going to be discussing in our home groups on, well, what do you think people would say when you ask, well, what is your church all about? So we as a launch team, when we're beginning to think, okay, well, what... What is this church supposed to be about? It's very important that here early on in this process with six months until launch, you're like, oh, that's so far away. No, it's not. It's around the corner. And, and we need to get our minds around and have a firm foundation on what we're going to be about. What is our identity? So who will Renewal Church be? A couple of weeks ago, we were meditating on what the church is. That was our very first training. And we talked about the church is the gathering. It's the people that have been assembled, so called out from the world, and they now belong to Jesus, adopted by the Father, indwelt by the Spirit. The, the, the gospel unites us, and so we are His missional community. And so the church is the people that are both called out of the world and then called back into it, sent to be on mission. And so we... We talked about how the church is gathering God's people that he has pursued and purchased. So the church is those that Jesus has actively pursued and then he purchased with his own blood. And so in one sense, and again, we'll talk about this more in the home groups this week. But in one sense, every church must, and I say that, every church must have the exact same identity. You're like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, in one sense, think of it this way. The church, every church is formed by the gospel of Jesus. And so, therefore, if any church offers anything other than Jesus, if a church does anything other than be rooted in Jesus, then that church is not being true to her identity, her her purpose. So every church ought to be Jesus-centered and gospel-centered. Amen? So every church, that's the same for every single church. So every church fundamentally exists to display the glory of God. And how is that done? We use the gospel to have people come to faith, they're made new in Jesus, and then they grow in Jesus. But see, here's the thing. It's more than that. Because even though every church shares the exact same identity of being Jesus exalting, in another sense, every single church must have a unique identity. You hear that? Every single church equally has to have a very unique identity. Well, why do I say that? Well, because a, a church is made up of individuals, right? That are unique from different backgrounds, personalities, um, maybe even different um, ethnicities or just different backgrounds. And we all have unique giftings. Same spirit, but unique giftings as he has decided. And then each church, for better or worse, you take your pick on that, has unique leadership. Every, every church leadership is going to be unique based upon the spirit's gifting and the personality and their experiences. So when you begin to think about this, every single church is going to be different. The same ought to be in some ways, but then very unique in other ways. So there's a cultural context for churches, and there's unique personality of churches. And so even though we all share the same global mission of making disciples for the praise of Jesus' name, 
every church has a unique mission. So here it is. And so it's the same mission across the board. And yet within that, underneath that umbrella, there is some uniqueness that every church has in how specifically the Holy Spirit has led that particular group of believers to accomplish the global call of Jesus. And so I'm not going to get down into making a list, but in your own mind, you can probably make a list of ways that First Belton is different from the vision that you're hearing of Renewal Church. Does that make us better? No. Does it make us inferior? No. It just makes us different. It's just different. It's just unique. And so every church has a different model, if you want to use that word, a a different approach in how the Spirit has led that body of believers to accomplish the overall calling that every church is called to accomplish. And so churches are all unique. And Renewal Church will be different and unique from the mother church and every other church. So the purpose of this preparation phase from now until launch, and we have our launch team, is so that we can grow together, like gel as a team and be a family and, and know each other and share our lives together, which is why we don't just meet here where you hear me talk for an hour, but you go and do life, share life with other people in this room. And that is the foundation, so you need that. Um, in this preparation phase. And so learning who we're going to be as a church so that we're all on the same page and then discussing it every week. So as a church, we can't lose our focus or we can't lose our identity. When, when churches begin to drift away from Jesus, and this actually does happen, it's not usually because they're doing evil things. Now, there are some churches that actually are um, queer theology churches, like that's, it's a thing, you can Google it. Like there are queer churches, this is an actual, the reality, where they celebrate homosexuality and, and that's like their mantra. And there are churches that advocate things like, um, oh, abortion and so forth and champion these causes and, and, and so forth. And so yes, there are churches that do things that are immoral. <laughs> But those are the minority. Most churches don't, don't champion immoral causes. Most churches that are ineffective is just because they've lost their focus. They just haven't kept a clear identity of who they are or where's God calling them to go. And so they begin to do everything under the sun. We'll talk about that more later with, with our values and how we're going to be unique. Um, but it's important that we don't lose our identity that our goal is not to just do good things or do every good thing under the sun. The goal is to fulfill what God's called us to do and not to just become a, a religious country club for believers because that's what a lot of churches have just become. It's just a go, feel good, you go sit, check your religious box, and then you go home. And there's no transformation. and there's, It's not a missional community. It's just, a, it's just churchianity. And that's not the goal. At all. And so let me give you an example of an organization or a business that forgot her identity and this drift hurt them. So Howard Schultz, ever heard of him? Yes! Good job, Bobby. He founded Starbucks. You know what year? Oh, 1971. You know what city? Yes, Seattle. Yes, very good. What, Pike's Place? Um, so he started in 71. Now his vision was to sell good coffee. Now, if, if, I mean, I was born in 79, so I know I'm old. But this is before my time. So at the time, coffee shops weren't really a thing in the United States. But Starbucks, so with Howard, he said, I want to start coffee shops that will feel like home, which was a very foreign thought at the time. But it was, it was a creative, unique vision that he had. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell great coffee and sell it in a, in a homey, like second home type environment. People, people are gonna come enjoy it and sit and chill in their second living room. And it was a revolutionary thought. And guess what happened? It took off. It worked. It worked remarkably well. Um, where people across the country loved this, this vision. So, 
in 2000, he stepped down as a CEO. So almost 30 years later, he was just tired, but he had made a gazillion dollars. And so they had 5,000 stores in those 29 years. And over the next eight years, from, from 2000 when he stepped down to 08, so in those eight years, they went from 5,000 to 15,000 stores. So it took 29 years to get 5,000, and then eight years to add 10 more thousand. So it was significantly faster growth after Howard Schultz stepped down. But that expansive growth, you know what happened to Starbucks? They lost their identity. They forgot who they were supposed to be and the original vision for their company. And in their desire to expand so quickly, they lost that second home feel. And so the nice furniture was replaced by very simple type, uh, just boring chairs like what you're sitting in right now. And not only that, but if you remember this, they brought CDs in and stuffed animals and books. And remember that? Back in 08? I remember going in, I was in Odessa, and going in and I was like, is this a coffee shop or is this like a gift shop? And it was just the weirdest thing. I remember that. And, and I remember the seats were uncomfortable and I stopped going to Starbucks. I remember that. And I was a college pastor at the time at church in Odessa. And we went to another local mom and pop coffee shop because it had, it had more comfortable seats and it was a second home feel. But it wasn't just me that abandoned Starbucks. Thousands abandoned Starbucks. Their stock was plummeting. And in their hemorrhaging, they brought back Howard Schultz. So in 08, Starbucks had dropped like 48% in their, their stock, and they were, they were in bad shape. And you know what he did? He said, now we're going to grind our coffee beans in the store so that it's fresher and better quality. And we're going and they shut down all the Starbucks for three hours on a Tuesday and train everyone how to actually make good espresso. And they brought in good, legit furniture. And they reclaimed their vision of being a home, a second home where you have good coffee. And guess what happened when they went back to the original vision? It went right back out the roof and now they have almost 30,000 stores globally. And it's just incredible. Um, and this is not even a Starbucks commercial, by the way. I, I don't have any shares of Starbucks. I don't particularly care if they do well or not. It's just an example of what happens when individuals, or particularly an organization, even a church, when they lose focus of their vision, and all of a sudden they're no longer successful. And I don't want Renewed Church to have an identity crisis at all. That is the last thing that I want for our new church. And so our vision and our mission statements are meant to work together to communicate our identity or so who we are as a church. We talked about this last week, but just by way of review, our vision describes who we are as a church, but as far as the direction that we're headed. So our vision is to bring God's renewal to Bell County and the world. So that's where we're headed, is, is to bring God's renewal to Bill County and then to the world. And so we saw this last week from beginning of creation all the way to the future end of, of time with Revelation 22. So the, all of human history, God is working out his plan to renew. And so we get the privilege of being a part of God's renewal. So we, we did this fast paced View from Genesis all the way to Revelation last week. And remember that? You're like, yes, briefly, vaguely. But we saw how God's been at work. And so now we get to be a part of that. We get to jump into God's plan, be a part of it, of his vision. And so that's what we're about as a church, is spreading that renewal. Now, the mission statement describes our purpose and our identity. So mission speaks of our reason for existing, all right? So vision describes where we're headed, the desired end state. And mission describes, well, why are you going there in the first place? And how are you going to get there? Following me? So they work together, the vision and the mission. So this is talking about, so it's talking about why we're going in that direction, how we're going to get there. So the vision, the mission statement is there in your notes, and we'll review it here. 
throughout the evening. So, where in the Bible could we go to talk about this? To talk about our church's mission? There's a lot of places we can go. The Great Commission. We could easily go there. Because if you see there in your notes, mission statement is, so we exist so that people will be made new in Jesus, grow in Jesus, and be released into the world for Jesus. We could go to the Great Commission, in which we will later in, in, this, in, this, in this training period, um, where he says, make disciples, they're made new. And then he says, teach them to obey, right? That's growing. And, and then he says what? Go and do what? Make disciples. So there's a going, there's a making disciples, and then there's a growing. And so it's the same thing, being made new and growing and being released into the world. And so we could go there. We could also go from this morning's sermon, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. You can go there too, where he says that you were dead in your sins. It says, but God in his mercy, his great love with which he loved us, he made us alive in Christ and raised us up. And so we were dead, so we've been made new. And, and then he describes how we have been made new because why? So that we can fulfill the good works. So this is a being released. And so we could dissect Ephesians 2. We could go to 2 Corinthians 5 and look at it there too. Where he says, for, for all who are in Christ are what? Made new. The old is gone. The new has come. Right? But he says, why? We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And so again, you can go there and say, look, we're made new, we grow, and we're released. So there's lots of places that we can go in the Bible that we can dissect and really get our minds around this this mission of of seeing people made new in Jesus, grow in Jesus, and then released into the world for Jesus. But we're not going to any of those places. That would be too easy. And that would be too, I don't know, common um, I don't want to use the word boring because the Bible is not boring. Like, there's nothing in here that's boring. I mean, this Bible is amazing. It's riveting. All of it is. But what I really had in my heart was to go to a different place that maybe you haven't read before or maybe not recently and see how God's plan and His promises is throughout the whole Bible, including in the Old Testament, including in the prophet Ezekiel. So, yes, turn your Bibles to Ezekiel 36. And we're going to be... In Old Testament, we're going old school here. And Ezekiel 36, and we look at 37 as well, describe the promises and the purposes of God. And our church mission statement, who we are as a church, is rooted in what God is doing in Ezekiel. So again, so that we have our minds around this clearly, Renewal Church exists, our purpose is to see people made new in Jesus and then grow in Jesus and be released into the world for Jesus. So let's read in Ezekiel 36. We'll start in verse 22 and go through the first part of 27. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put Within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. We'll stop right there. Um, so Ezekiel, this prophet, is he's both a prophet, but he's also a priest, and he lives in Babylon. This is the sixth 
century BC, so over 500 years before the birth of Jesus. Okay, and he was living in Babylon. Anyone know why they were in Babylon? Anyone know why? The exile. Yes, I heard it in the back. Yes, God's people were exiled. Do you remember Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? How they lived in in Israel, Judah, and then they were taken to Babylon, so modern-day Iraq. Well, this happened in 586 B.C. So it began early in 597, but by 586, the temple was destroyed, was just leveled and burned down, and any survivors were killed or, or deported to Babylon. And so Daniel and his friends were among the first ones that were taken to Babylon. So this was God's judgment. God's people were idolatrous and were disobeying him. So now they're suffering under his judgment. And there is despair and there's darkness. The temple is gone and they're living in Babylon. And in the middle of that, you have this prophet and this priest that is proclaiming a message of restoration, of of renewal. He's promising that one day there's going to be hope and they're going to be restored back to their land. But so here's the thing. Let's be really clear. God's plan of renewal was never about real estate. It was never about this geographical land or that geographical land. God was just as present in Babylon as he was in the promised land. This was much deeper. It was a foreshadowing. It was a pointing to something about who we are even today. That God's people, God's plan was always, we saw this last week, it was God's people living in God's place under God's rule. And so renewal is about living in the presence of God, being restored back to our original purpose as human beings. And so when they were exiled, they were exiled basically out of God's presence. Just like people today that are spiritually lost, they are spiritually exiled. Like this is, this is the reality that they're out of God's presence. They're far from God. And so just like they were physically exiled, they were just as equally spiritually exiled and far from God. Because remember, God cannot be in relationship with anything that is sinful, rebellious, or Corrupted. And they had loved their idols more than they loved God. And so the essence of sin is desiring anything more than you desire God. This is what sin is. This is what evil is. And so they were exiled, and honestly, are we any different? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, do we love other things more than we would love Jesus? And the answer is a resounding yes, because we are equally corrupted as they were. So just like they could not change themselves, we cannot change ourselves. A leper cannot change his spots. We can't heal ourselves. We can't free ourselves from our spiritual bondage to sin. We can't lift the curse of, of sin and death. We, we can't lift the curse from ourselves and from our world. We cannot resurrect ourselves Spiritually. So this is the foundation of being lost. I think sometimes we don't, we don't realize that. I think we think, oh, I, I decided to follow Jesus. And, and we sing these songs, and they're not bad songs to sing, but uh, I have decided. And we think like you made this conscious choice. And in one sense, yes, we all did. But understand, God's Spirit has to take the initiative because left to ourselves, we are spiritually dead and unable to respond to God. And you see that in Ezekiel 37, just one chapter later, where the first 11 verses describes God's people as dead, under the curse of sin. The, the Hebrews, whenever someone died, you know what they would do? They would carefully care for the body and bury it. But when someone who was an enemy would, would die on the battlefield, you think they would bury them? No. Remember whenever David was fighting against Goliath, and they're like trash talking? And David says, 
that when I kill you, he says that what's going to happen to your body? He says the birds of the air will do what? They're going to eat your flesh. Which means David is saying, you are an enemy of God. And when I kill you, when I slay you and deliver God's people from the enemy, basically being Messiah, little m, but still Messiah, you will not get a burial because you're under God's curse. And so you're going to be left out in the open and you're going to rot and the birds of the air are going to eat your flesh. So you have this valley filled with bones. What does this signify? Cursed. This is not good. Ancient Hebrews would never, ever leave their own out in the open to rot and have birds of the air feed on the flesh. That is not honoring to God. And so what you see when he says that the people of God are a, are a big valley of dead, dry bones. To an ancient Hebrew, reading that would have been shocking. And it should be shocking to us. It's saying God's people that He loves are under the curse of sin and are dead. And then God, God asks Ezekiel, do you believe these bones can live? And he's like, only you know. He's like, I don't, don't ask me. I got nothing. Oh, you know God. He's looking at this vision. And then God tells him to do what? You remember? He says to prophesy. He says, preach. He's like, proclaim my word. And then, and then there is a wind, and then there is a sound that is a God glorifying, miraculous sound. You know what you could hear in the valley? Rattling. Rattling. God is resurrecting his dead people, lifting the curse of sin and making his people new for the glory of his name. Verse 12, Ezekiel 37, verse 12. Therefore prophesy, so proclaim, preach, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves. You hear that? I will open your graves and raise you from the graves, O my people. Listen to this. My people, I'm going to resurrect you. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. Remember, being in the land is being in God's presence. He's so I'm going to resurrect and bring you back into my presence, to the Garden of Eden. Verse 13, And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I shall place you in your own land. Why? Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is not anything religion can do. Hear me. Being a Muslim or being a Buddhist or a Hindu or someone who ascribes to a churchianity where they think that they're Christians because they're part of a Baptist church and they show up twice a month on a Sunday and they check the religious box, but they have no affections for Jesus and there's no evidence of being made new by the Spirit and they think as long as that they don't commit the big sins of adultery or doing drugs or killing anyone, then they're going to go to heaven. Religion cannot do this. Every one of us has been shaped by so many factors. If you just think about what has shaped you as a person over the years, and no one in here is that young. I mean, you're, you're adults in the room, or close to adults. And if you begin to think, what are the various factors? And, and we've had all kinds of doubts and insecurities and wishes and hopes and dreams, and desires, and habits. 
And we can all try to find a sense of purpose or, or meaning or change or turning over a new leaf in so many different ways. And we try and we try and we fail because we cannot change ourselves. God here is promising a miracle. He's saying you can't do this for yourself. This is supernatural. This is absolutely miraculous. And what we need is not more religion. What we need is a change of heart. We need to be made new. We need a resurrection. New life lived in the presence of God. He says, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And then I will place you in your own land, in my presence. And only the spirit of God can make this possible. So if you go back, what we just read a second ago in 36. Verse, again, 25, remember this, just so we know the context. I will sprinkle clean water on you, that by the way, baptism represents this. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. Remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is what the gospel does. When you have a dead heart of stone that is unfeeling and unresponsive to spiritual realities. Now, those of you in the room that came to faith, maybe when you weren't very young, but even those of you like me that came to faith when you were young, you could probably remember that point when you gave your life to Christ. Before you knew Jesus, yes, your heart could feel. Yes, you had emotions. not denying that. You could feel. But your heart desired all the things that this world has to offer. But your heart did not desire Jesus. Your heart did not have a passion for the truth and the glory of Jesus. And so the new birth, as Jesus calls it in John 3, is what leads to having a heart that is no longer lifeless. And so I love what John Piper says about this. He says, In the new birth, our dead, stony boredom with Christ is replaced by a heart that feels, that spiritually senses the worth of Jesus. This is what the gospel does, and the Spirit of God does. Our hearts become responsive to His Spirit. And we yearn for holiness. We begin to hate our sin. Why? Because we're united to Jesus. His Spirit is in us, and now we love what He loves. We enjoy what He enjoys. And so people that are far from God, and guys, remember, the whole point of our missional communities, our home groups, is to reach our neighborhoods. Because there are people all around us that are far from God. Their hearts are spiritually lifeless. And they need the gospel to be made new, like we just read about here in Ezekiel. They don't need religion. They need to be resurrected and made new by Jesus. And so what's happening in this new birth is something unique that wasn't there before. There is new life that is born. So this is not religious activity. This is, this is not discipline. You have to discipline yourself. That comes later. First comes the new birth. You come to life. This is renewal. And Jesus talked about this in John chapter 3. You also see this in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, that he describes regeneration. Regeneration is basically being made new, being made alive by the Spirit. It's the same language. Oftentimes, the word regeneration or renewal is the same word in the original. It depends on which translation, which word works better in that context. But so, so you see in John 3 again, Titus 3, this is, this is a theme that runs throughout the Bible. God is making us new. And we're heirs of the kingdom. And so renewal church, our mission begins with, so we exist so that people will be made new in Jesus. 
Hey, honestly, I am not after accolades or anything that we can measure with our own achievement. You know what my heart desires for a new church? To see the supernatural. I want to see the impossible, something that we can't do in our own power that only the Spirit of God can do. And I want to be with the people who are in awe and that are stunned at what God is doing. Things that we could never do on our own because only God can do this. Simple made new. Not, it's not about tracking numbers or, or attendance or, or we can say, look at us, yay us. Like That is not the goal. The mission is to see what only God can do. We can't accomplish our wisdom or in our strength. So our mission begins with seeing people made new in Jesus. Then grow in Jesus. So following mission. So we exist so that we'll be made new in Jesus. And then once you're reborn and you're made new and you have the spirit, then now you're born, but you're a baby. So when you have life, you still have to grow up, right? So you're made new in Jesus, but now you have to grow in Jesus. And so we see this continuing in the same text in Ezekiel. We left off in verse 27. He says, and I will put my spirit within you, so he'll make us new and cause you. So what comes first? Being made new, receiving his spirit, and then what? He says, and then I will cause you to what? Walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So what we can't do for ourselves, he begins by making us new, and that enables us to grow, he says, to obey. And he says, then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant, and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Even there you see Eden, don't you? We talked about last week, in the presence of God, you see the same theme of I'll bring you back into my presence, where I will provide for you. Verse 31, Then you will remember your evil ways, and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe this. So you're even going to hate that. He says, for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that, may, let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded by your ways, O house of Israel. He says, I'm going to do this for the sake of my glory. Yes, you're the recipients of this incredible mercy, but it's for my glory, not for yours. It says that I will enable you, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So verse 27, follow the progression here. He says, I will give you the spirit which enables you to obey. Before you couldn't, now you can. Now you're liberated from your slavery to sin. You're made new. You have the spirit. You have a new heart, new desires. Now you have the spirit empowering you. Now you can obey. Verse 28, you'll be my people. So we reflect his character. And then he says that I will clean you from your uncleanness. And then he says that you will hate your sin. And so you're seeing this is movement. This is growth. This is something called sanctification. That's what this is describing in Ezekiel. It begins with the power of God to bring you back to life, and then the power of God to continue to change us, to conform to His image. And you also see it in chapter 37, where we left off. If you go to verse 24, again in the next chapter, this is a promise for the future. My servant David shall be king over them. Of course, this points to Jesus. And they shall have one shepherd, what was Jesus? He says, I am the what? The good shepherd. Aha, uh-huh. it's like Jesus knew something, right? It's like Jesus read the Bible before. Well, he wrote it. And so everything in here is pointing to Jesus, who is our good shepherd. So we're going to have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. So we will be obedient, holy people following our shepherd. Verse 25, and they shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob. So again, living in his presence. Verse 27, my dwelling place shall be with them and I will be 
their God, and they shall be my people. And where does God's Spirit live today? In his people. Look around the room. This is where the Spirit of God dwells. And so this is already a reclaiming of all of God's purposes given in Genesis 1, culminating at the end, right now lived out through the church who has the Spirit and is actively spreading this renewal, made new in Jesus and then growing in Jesus. Growing means being sanctified. It's growing in our holiness and His character. And so He has, this is like our destiny. You know in Ephesians 1, 4, where He says that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Like, just stop stop there for a second. Like, this, this is amazing. Before the world even was created, in eternity past, God knew you. Now, you weren't born yet, so you didn't exist yet. But in God's mind, He already knew who you were, and He knew how you would be, and He knew how He would make you. So He already, in that sense, knew you, and already had chosen to love you. So you have been loved, you know when? Since eternity past. And you are loved right now. And listen, God knows all your junk. And even that stuff that your spouse doesn't know, that probably he or she should know, you can talk later if you need to. Um, I'm just saying... (laughs) Even that, God knows. And He loves you. And there is nothing that you can do that will make God love you less. And there is nothing you can do that could somehow impress Him to love you more. Because you're loved eternally and completely from eternity past. And you're loved right now wholly, completely, and you will be loved for eternity. And so we are the recipients of an eternal love. I was talking about my little girl, who's 11 years old, and Abby came from her home group, or life group as they call them here. And she was saying, Daddy, I, I asked a question in my life group about whether or not someone can lose their salvation. And she says, and I was told, yes, I was told that um, in most cases, no. But if someone rejects Jesus, then they're choosing not to love Jesus, and so they're going to lose their salvation. And I said, really? I said, do you know what salvation is? It says that you were dead before. It says that you were an enemy of God before, and that you loved your sin, and you hated God, you delighted in sin, and not in God. And then He loved you eternally, and He brought you to life, and wrote your name in the book of life, and gave you His Spirit, and sent you on a mission, and you're going to be with Him forever and eternity. And I said, so you're telling me that you're going you're gonna to be more powerful than God, and you're going to reject Him, and then He's going to go and erase you from the book of life? take back His calling, remove His Spirit, kill you, and send you back into Satan's kingdom of darkness. Really? You think that's possible? She was like, well, you put it that way. <laughs> um, I, I guess not. And I was like, no, sweetie. No. No, you cannot lose your salvation. It's not possible. Because of your fundamental nature of who you are and what you've become and who you're united with. This defines you. You have an eternal love. This should fill us with such hope with whatever you're struggling with today. Know that you are loved and you matter and He is faithful and He will grow you. He chose us, it says Ephesians 1, 4. He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. He chose us, He loved us, He sent Jesus to rescue us, and we exist for a purpose, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. And the result is fruit of the Spirit. 
You have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. This is what it looks like. This is who we are. But it is a process. Let's just be clear, okay? This growing in Jesus, being sanctified, is not a one-time thing. Now, being made new is. Being justified is a one-time thing. Being regenerated is where you start in Christ. But then the life of sanctification, of, of growing, is a lifelong journey. And it has ups and downs. And the Spirit of God is the one that is empowering us. He's the one doing it. But we have to yield to the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. And so there's this beautiful thing. I guess the best way I could say it is it's a miracle. And so this growing is as much a miracle as being made new is a miracle. I promise. For me to grow and love my wife well and kill my sin, that's a miracle. And it is for you too. So being made new and growing is equally miraculous. The Spirit of God does this. And so God calls and then we respond. This is how sanctification or growing works. We'll talk about it more and later because we have a whole session of just growth, um, part of our strategy. But So just here in brief, sanctification. It's God calls, we respond. So let me give you some examples. Jesus opens the eyes of the blind, but the blind do the seeing. Jesus tells a crippled man to stand up. He calls, he says, stand up. But the man does the walking. Jesus calls to Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus does the walking. God is the one who makes us content and gives us his spirit. And then you're the one that responds with generosity and sacrificially giving of your resources. God gives you love. He he lavishes it on you. And then you respond with being a forgiving person. And so God's glory and His presence is what satisfies us, and then we respond by growing and by following Him and reflecting His character and being more holy. And it, and it makes us hate pornography and hate addictions like to alcohol or any other addiction that you could possibly have under the sun and these fleeting pleasures it makes us not want them because God's presence is better and more satisfying. And so God makes a miraculous call and then we respond with obedience. This is growing. This is how it's done and it's done in community. You cannot do it alone. If you try, you will fail. And maybe you've tried doing it by yourself and what maybe that's why God's brought you to this this church plan, that there's a rawness and an uncertainty that goes with being part of a church plan. But I'm excited about it because God is at work. And so we're going to be about seeing people made new in Jesus, grow in Jesus, and then last, as we wrap up, released into the world for Jesus. This is our mission Statement. Let me read to you the last few verses in um, Ezekiel 36, back to verse 33 where we left off and finished the chapter. Thus says the Lord God, One day, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste place to be rebuilt. Again, this is renewal that we're seeing here. Verse 34. And the land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed in. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. There it is again. This theme throughout the whole Bible. And the waste and the desolate and the ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around, here's, here's the key guys, all the nations shall know that I and the Lord, I have rebuilt the ruins, places, and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during the appointed feasts. So shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people, 
then they will know that I am the Lord. He is pouring out His blessings on His people. He is restoring them. He is doing this miraculous resurrection and growing. Why? He says, so that the nations will see and they will know that there is only one true God. So your lives, so the renewal in your lives is a display for all the nations to see that there is only one God and He's mighty to save. There is one God who resurrects the dead. There is one God who has power over the grave. And only one God that actually changes the lives of people. And so we are released into the world for Jesus. So that all will know that He is Ezekiel 37, back to the next chapter, verse 28. Then the nations will know, there's a theme again, the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. He will live with us forever. He's making us holy. He is sanctifying us. You see again, the restoration of all things This is pointing to what we read last week in Revelation, in the garden, which is now the whole planet, the new earth of His sanctuary. He's living with us. Until that day comes, we are here. Our church's direction is to spread God's renewal to Bill County and the world. And why are we doing this? What is our purpose? It's so that people will be made new in Jesus and grow in Jesus and be released into the world for Jesus. John 20, verse 21, and we'll wrap it up there. Summary statement. John 20, 21. Jesus helps us understand our identity. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. So shalom. This is peace. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is what it's about. Jesus calls us out of the world and then he sends us back in as those who have received his mercy to spread it. This is the vision. This is where we are headed. And so everything that we do from our worship gatherings to our home groups to our future ministries and everything that we're going to do, our discipleship groups, all of it is missional. All of it is enjoying Jesus, reaching up and just praising Him who is worthy. But it doesn't stop there. We reach out so that we can bring others alongside of us to reach up with us for the praise of His name.